one of the movies this month just made me cry so hard I had a nosebleed. What? (laughs) (laughs) You told me that we needed to lay a few minutes to collect yourself. And it stopped the bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm Craig and that didn't happen to me. So... Get ready for a podcast of unique experiences across the board. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Gut. Before we get started, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Um, if you were to describe yourself as a Miley Cyrus song, which song would you choose? Um, Rockstar. Does that count? Does that count, even though it's technically Hannah Montana? Sure. Yeah, it counts. I don't know, cause it, I I don't know. It just it's the first one that came to mind vibes? that fits vibes <laughs> vibes. If you listen to that song and you think of me, you'll get it. Um, I think my answer is can't be tamed. Um, because I can be tamed. Let's be <laughs> clear. You know, I can be. That's not the reason why. But it is the first song I remember hearing from Miley Cyrus where. She says hell or, you know, any sort of vulgarity. Well, yeah, that's and the point. And I remember what, yeah. And so I, um, you know, I kind of feel like that's where I'm at, where it's like, it's my, like, this is my first song that has vulgarity in it. Like, I'm get like, I'm getting there. I have not reached my final form, but you can see the traces of it in this song. And this is how you know that Craig and I had very different childhoods regarding music growing up. Well, this is true because, well, we had so, we had some overlap, you know. Obviously, like, the music intended for our generation, we both kind of, like, looped into. The Hannah Montanas, the Big Time Rushes, etc. Um, you, uh, let me just say, I was raised on stadium country, which I understand is a difficult thing to admit, but like I was the Alan Jackson's, the Trace Adkins, all of that stuff. Yeah. I was uh, raised on rock and roll and punk pop. So, and EDM. The the only reason I know any classic rock is because NSP made three classic rock covers and I or three three classic rock cover albums, and so you know I learned about a lot of classic rock when I was seventeen. Oh boy, wow, that kind of hurts my heart, but it's fine. Yep, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Bug, what are we doing? Uh, this month we are watching my recommendations question mark at the end because I panicked and just picked four movies that you know it had been a minute since I'd watched and I wanted to watch and talk about them so yeah first up is the craft tell us about it Craig whoa okay um so the craft is a 1996 movie with Real like the only big name that I pulled from this was uh Robin Tunney. Um, I know her because first of all, she's in Empire Records. We've seen her on the podcast before. Um, but second, she's in the entire first season of Prison Break, a show I very much love. <laughs> so, um, that's really the only big name that I pulled from this. There's other like kind of big names nev campbell is in this i'm not familiar with her work though cliff de young is in a little bit of this um 
But the plot of this movie is it's four high school girls, all of whom live kind of on the outs early. They live in the outskirts socially and they band together, form a coven of witches, and they kind of like seek their revenge on the people that like wronged them in high school. They play with popularity. They play with love and eventually they become a little power hungry. And this is kind of where the big conflict of the movie happens is Robin Tunney's character is like, Hey, what we're doing isn't great. And everyone else is like, but we have magic. What else are we supposed to do? And that's kind of the conflict of the movie is trying to find this, ethical grounds of how to use magic as a teenager yeah and uh we've also seen Feyruza Balk on the we've talked about her on the podcast before as well because she's in Almost Famous and then Neve Campbell and Ski Ulrich who plays Chris which is um Sarah Robin Tooney's character's love interest kind of in the craft they are both in Scream so you've seen them both okay sure I would love for you to start this conversation. <laughs> um, well, I don't even know where to begin with it. Like, I guess I chose this movie because, you know, if you know me, I do have a slight uh, witchier side to myself, as cringy as it is for me to say it like that. <laughs> I don't exactly know how else to say it. Um, a more, let, let, me, let me rephrase that. If you know me, you know that media depicting the occult usually draws my interest and this even though a lot a lot of the special effects need some heavy lifting yeah this movie came out you know 26 years ago and it shows yes it absolutely does and um you know regardless of that the biggest appeal of it is the occultiness of it and kind of how like they have fun with their magic, but also, like, it gets pretty creepy towards the end. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, you know, I am not as well-versed in, like, the ins and outs of witchcraft and how it affects, you know, you know, different societies and the where it is placed in different cultures. But, from what I do understand, this movie takes, like, a very practical approach to the concept of witchcraft. Like... It plays it, I think, very straight, and it doesn't, like, go over the top with it. Um, I see the way that this movie depicts high school girls participating in witchcraft, and I'm like, oh, this is exactly, like, how people would do it in high school today. Like, nothing has changed from that aspect. It felt very, like, a very grounded approach to, like the conversation of witchcraft. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Like, all of the depictions of them doing their witchcraft throughout the majority of the movie, it's them sitting in a circle, casting a circle, calling on the four corners, which is something that a lot of people use in their practice now, and a lot of people even do at weddings, because it's like calling uh, for the whole universe to have its eyes on you and to hear what you have to say in a way um and you know there are scenes where they do the stereotypical slicing their palms which is the worst the worst way to do that just prick your finger 
don't slice your palm. They uh, do both, <laughs> for what it's worth. They yeah, do both. They do both. But, you know, that's more so... The, the slicing of the palms is much more so um, Hollywood than anything. But the, for the majority of it, I can agree that they take a very basic, pretty much respectful approach to witchcraft. Like, it seems like the writers kind of did at least some research. Yeah, it genuinely felt like a look inside the culture. You know, I, I've, I said that earlier. But, like, this really feels like an homage to the belief and the practice of witchcraft. It didn't really feel like... It, it felt like a genuine kind of coming-of-age movie within the space. Yeah, for sure. Um, imagine moving to a new town like Sarah, Robin Tooney's character, and just immediately getting recruited into a witch cult. Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, I'm new here. The, your choices are the Glee Club... The cheerleading squad, the witch coven, math club. And they're like, whoa, 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 what was that last one? Hold on. What, what was that other one you just said? Um, yeah, and, and Robin Tunney plays a very, like, she's a lot more soft-spoken in this movie than she was in, like, Empire Records. Um, she is very much, like, this, like, sheepish kind of character. She's, like, the most morally grounded of the group she's the most hesitant to like break any rules or manipulate with people um and she's a very easy character to root for yeah another reason that she's easy to root for is the other three suck suck they're i horrible i did uh specifically specifically nancy who is feruza bulk's character i don't know what it was but there was something I don't know if she just played the character too intense or like there was something about just the vibe of that character that like every time she was on screen, I just like was immediately like no longer on board. I did not want to ride the wave of whatever this character was bringing. And any time they did a close up of her character, like and it just. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Well, I, part of me thinks that part of me thinks that the movie was intending for that amount of unsettling that she gives off. Like the amount she unsettles people was definitely part of her character because her entire character arc is that, you know, she's the leader of this coven in a way. In the sense that she's the one who kind of found everything and wants to be in charge of everything. And she's controlling who's in, who's out. And once Na or once Sarah comes in and kind of threatens that, she goes even crazier as they get more power. And like goes completely power hungry while Sarah is kind of like, oh, well, I don't know if I really want in this deep because I want to keep it kind of, you know, lighter, like... And it goes along with the conversation that happens in the movie about balance and between good and bad and how it's important to have balance, but you'll have people who fall on the worst end of either spectrum. And that's kind of why there's so much tension between Sarah and Nancy throughout the entire movie, because they fall on very opposite ends. Yeah. Now's a good time for me to bring up. I... I'm so far outside of the intended audience for this movie. Like, 
I think my enjoyment of this movie is hindered by a lot of facts that just like the the movie couldn't control. You know, it's not the movie's fault that, you know, a lot of this kind of fell on deaf ears when I watched this. You know, the vibe is not something I usually go for. The aesthetic. I like I don't watch many movies like this. Um, the, the like girl click. I was never really a part of like this is a story for someone that just like is not me. So there was a lot of this movie that I, I will admit, I kind of like checked out during, I like didn't fully commit to just cause it like, this was someone else's story. And there were very few moments where I feel like I could like dig my teeth into it. You could have learned so much. You could have learned so much about me, Craig. You could have learned so much about the craft and you just yeah. tuned it out. This was a learning experience. Uh, but Here's what I will say. Don't watch this movie at all if you are afraid of snakes, spiders, bearded dragons, I guess. <laughs> Any just creature. If it's a creature and you're afraid, just don't watch this movie. Because like the whole third act is like, uh, how do we scare people? <laughs> spiders. Lots of snakes. Well, okay, that happens because, so, Sarah, the reason that she moved was because she, trigger warning, tried to kill herself. She expresses that before her suicide attempt, she um, was having hallucinations of bugs and snakes and spiders, and she tells this to Nancy. So then, when Nancy is mad at her later on in the film, she causes Sarah to have hallucinations of snakes and spiders and beetles and bugs and bearded dragons. Because <laughs> those are so scary. But I am horrified of spiders, and I will say that that part of the movie is usually one where I'm like, all right, I only need to have watched this since I've seen it before. Yes, yes. Um, I also have to say... <laughs> For some reason, like, it took me until I started this movie to realize that this movie would be about witchcraft. There's something about the title, like, The Craft, that, like, gives off, like, a very, like, unpresuming ambiance to it. Like, I genuinely did not know what I was going into until I started, like, looking up the plot as I was watching (laughs) the movie. Um and so when I, it, this movie made a lot more sense as to why you chose it, you know, after I started watching it. It didn't click for me at first. I'm curious. I'm very curious as to what you kind of thought it was about because I okay, hear the craft and I hear witchcraft. Okay. Here's why. Because it's called the craft and uh-huh. I, I'm looking at the IMDb page right now, the craft. And for some reason... I'm not processing the first part of the word. I hear the craft and I think the raft. And I'm like, is this movie about like survival or something? Is this just four chicks on a raft? As long as you didn't think it was about arts and crafts. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, I I don't know. It was just one of those like, I did not process this information correctly. And I don't know what movie I was expecting, but it was not this. I will say one of my favorite parts about this is that the school that they all go to is a Catholic prep school. So that's funny. Um. Yeah. And 
what I love, <laughs> this is very 90s of this movie. Because like I said, all the girls in this movie are like they're they're social outcasts for various reasons. Like um um uh Nancy has like she's from an abusive family. Bonnie was in a car accident and she's like physically disfigured. And uh, Sarah, you know, she's the new kid, so she's outcast that way. And then Rochelle is just like, people are racist at the school. She's the only black character in this movie. And they're like, well, everyone else, you know, we like went out of our way to give, you know, a reason why they're outcasts. She's just part of a racist school, I guess. And I'm like, you could have tried a little harder on that one, guys. Hey, and everybody she cast her spells against fucking deserved it. This is true, but I I just like, all right, we have the three characters that we worked on backstories for, and then the person of color. I'm like, guys, come on. And of course, you know, when uh, during the climax of the movie, Sarah gives Bonnie and Rochelle like she forces them to see their worst fear on them. And so Bonnie is like very badly disfigured. And then Rochelle just has alopecia and i'm like all right guys come on uh did so there is a scene in this as well where they're having a sleepover and at the sleepover they do this kind of like playful ritual that a lot of people might have done as kids where it's uh light as a feather stiff as a board and you like sit around your friend who's laying there and you try to like lift them up or whatever did you ever do that at any sort of get together in your entire life i would love for you to guess i mean i'm assuming no but like no i you've surprised me before so i have to ask typically i don't know guys sleepovers we were you've had girlfriends i don't i i don't know what's happened with your relationships (laughs) um no guys sleepovers were more like the bloody mary type thing Like more of like the actively trying to scare each other rather than like, can we float? Well, this was something that I did with friends in like elementary school and middle school. But I also would do it with like my brother, my cousin and my uncle when we were younger in my grandma's basement. We would try to do this. (laughs) Were you always the one that tried to float because you were the smallest? No, we rotated just to make it fair. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Did they get the closest with you? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I like I said, I don't have much more to say about this movie. Oh, actually, I, I lied. I do. This movie gets kind of brutal at some point. Like this yeah. movie is rated R, but only for a few bits. I feel like mm-hmm. there's an edit of this movie that could have easily have been PG thirteen. The scene specifically that makes me think about this is the dude that we watch fully get run over by a car. Like, we watch his neck and back under the tires. And I'm like, whoa! 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 Yeah, this movie absolutely goes from, like, zero to 100 real fast. Like, real fast. Yeah. So, it's, it's... it's got some pacing Total issues. whiplash sometimes. Yeah. So, like, this is... I feel the same way about this movie as I felt about Practical Magic when we watched it last year. Where, like, mm-hmm. there's... This movie is made well. Anything that I don't like about this movie is 
I am willing to come to the table and say, this just isn't my kind of movie. So like, I don't want to harsh this movie's vibes because it's not for me. This movie has an audience and like, if this is your thing, by all means, like go for it. I'm not going to stop you. Um, I just have to recognize that like, it's not, this isn't mine. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what are you rating it this time? I'm, Gonna give it a five seven five. I was see, I was gonna go with the six, so we're pretty we're pretty close there. This movie is cheesy. It's not campy. I think that it's. I think that a lot of its cheesiness is because this movie was made in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, and so it has that mid nineties like we're trying new stuff kind of vibe, and it shows in a lot of it. I definitely feel like if they had made this movie nowadays with the special effects we have now it would have been less cheesy because like you said it's because of they used what they had at the time um but yeah it's you know it's i don't want to say that it's like a horror movie but it's kind of like a thriller like a witchcraft thriller type that kind of goes along there's lots of horror elements in this movie yeah yeah but it it goes more along with like more so the darker movies that I like. Cause so on here, the movies that I've chosen have been more like lighter, I guess, and lovey and all that jazz. I think the darkest month we had on here were our Adam Driver month and our Brie Larson month. Those movies were <laughs> a bit dark at times. Um, and this and I feel like a couple movies on this month kind of fall in line with that as well. With, covering more darker themes and so you know you get to see a different side of bug here but like i said i give this one a six it's a good watch nancy is the female bender noose included in her locker um (laughs) and i love robin tooney so i think that plays a big part in why i like this one so much but yeah so when was the last time you've watched you watched this movie um, this one was actually one that I had watched more recently than the rest of them. Uh, I okay. watched this one about, I'd say like two or three months ago, but I wasn't really like paying attention to it. I kind of just put it on to have something on. Sure. And so, okay. Why, what were you expecting when it came to rewatching this movie? And what did this movie kind of like deliver? Because for both of us, you know, these last two months are kind of an excuse for us to watch a movie that we want to watch again. So, like, what were you expecting from this rewatch? And, like, what did this movie kind of give you? So, with regards of this movie specifically in my list, it was more so this is a movie that I like that I know Craig would never watch. And so I want him to watch it so that way he can see... I guess, this aspect of it, if that makes sense. Okay, fair enough. For sure. So, are you ready for the movie that made me cry so hard I got a nosebleed? Yeah. Um, this is a walk to remember. This is, this is kind of surprising for me, too. This is the first Nicholas Sparks movie I've seen. And I this is, it, it was kind of everything I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, so... A walk to the a walk to remember is about these two high schoolers who come from different paths of life, who meet, fall in love, and then kind of like have a small tragedy. I say small tragedy, 
deal they have a tragedy in their relationship and and they kind of learn how to live with love it it's kind of the best it. way for me to say it how to love um, through it yes exactly um this i feel like this movie doesn't get to its point for a very long time it's one of those movies that i felt like was almost over while we were still well in the second act yeah like once the two of them like fell in love and were in an active relationship i'm like oh cool that's the movie and then there's still an hour left and i'm like guys what what what's going on here and then they hit you with the plot twist <laughs> yeah so and, and even the plot twist doesn't happen until like there's only like 30 so there's like until there's only like 30 minutes left so there's like 30 minutes in the middle that's like just them in a relationship which isn't a bad thing it's nice to see that in romance movies yes um but this movie is very much not about much uh uh nicholas sparks when his when his movies started coming out um even to this day, you know, I, I think people are more receptive to the concept. But Nicholas Sparks movies have this um, prejudice amongst them where, like, they're boring, they're bad. You know, it redefined the concept of a chick flick. And because these movies were more female-centered, they get critically, like, destroyed um, on IMDb, this movie is a 7.3 out of 10 as a fan rating, but a 35 out of 100 for the Metacritic score. And very rarely do movies have such like a disparaging difference in its fan reception and critic reception. Um, this movie is not that bad. No. It's, it's just this movie is so normal. It has normal people going through a normal situation and have to deal with a normal part of life. And so what's wild to me is even though this movie didn't like super resonate with me, I didn't hate it in the way that people hate Nicholas Sparks stuff. <laughs> like it's just a pretty normal movie. I think for me personally, I think that's, the biggest appeal of this or part of the biggest appeal of this movie is because it's just a normal love story where like, you know, there is that tragedy aspect to it that we mentioned before, but it's a normal love story with a guy trying to prove his love for this girl. And, you know, you see like hints of what the tragedy is going to be in like subtle mentions until it's finally outed. But then you see just how they carry on in like a normal it's like devastating for them but at the same time they carry on like what happens in real life because in movies they'll make it like oh the whole world stops everything falls apart but in this one they took a more i guess realistic approach in the sense that life continues to go on even in the face of tragedy and you just have to try and make the best of the time that you have in a way yeah, and this movie starts giving you a tone that we do not see again for the rest of the movie. Not really, no. This, like, the movie starts and it's a bunch of teenagers pulling up to this, like, warehouse factory setting. And they're outside and there's, like, a reservoir 
and there's there are some pipes that expel into the reservoir and two of them climb up to the top of these pipes and you know pressure one of them to jump off this one teenager jumps off almost dies hurts himself very badly the police show up and um only one guy gets caught it's our main character he's the one that you know gets caught by the police for trespassing and instead of going to jail he's given like parameters like you know every tuesday you have to do this every saturday you have to tutor the underprivileged kids like you can't do this for this amount of time he's like he's pretty much put on parole right and that's how our characters the love interests meet is she's also there I think tutoring the underprivileged kids and she's like trying to give him advice and, you know, typical bad guy or bad boy. Rather, he doesn't listen to her. He ignores her. He like gives her the cold shoulder. And I'm like, OK, so it's like, you know, kind of like a bad boy movie. And then that demeanor melts almost instantly because he's in love. OK, so the beginning of this movie, that scene that you were just describing, it reminds me of. All of the horror stories that were told growing up of people jumping off the pier in our hometown and why you shouldn't do it and why kids still peer pressure each other into doing it. I was thinking the exact same thing, <laughs> right? So, but, uh, you know, we're from, so just for context, you know, we're from Michigan and anywhere in Michigan, you know, there's a pier nearby. And because I was telling people at work about this recently, it's funny that it came up again, where like the water... The dangerous part about jumping off the pier in our hometown was if you didn't jump far enough and the tide was low enough, you would hit the rocks that, you know, surround the pier. The pier was hugged by rocks for like five feet, you know, yeah, up around the border of the pier. So if you didn't jump far enough and the tide was low enough, you would hit the rocks and people did. So like seeing that scene, like exactly what you said, like I saw them up on those pipes and I'm like, oh, I've seen this before in yep. my real life. <laughs> yep. Um, like so I know how this ends. I've seen it happen to people. I've, I've watched it with my own eyes. Um, and, and so like some, you know, the kid jumps off, he gets hurt and I'm like, wow, what a shocker. <laughs> so, our main characters, Landon and Jamie, Shane West and Mandy Moore. Love me some Mandy Moore, bringing her back from the last, our, you know, not quite horse movies month where she was the voice of Rapunzel. And uh, it's very much a sunshine girl, grumpy boy, grumpy guy type of film because, you know, Landon has daddy issues as you expressed that kind of melts away once he like kind of sees Jamie as who she is instead of the quiet religious girl that his friend group kind of bullies um in which his friend group is something we'll get into here in a minute but I will say that this is about as religious as it gets with movies that I like like this is like the most Jesus-y movie you will catch me watching and being like, you know what? This is such a great movie. <laughs> yes. I uh, made a joke to you before we started recording that I'm pretty sure that the title, A Walk to Remember, is in reference to Jamie's Walk with Christ. Um, in, in a way, Because it is, it is very relevant to this movie because she is the daughter of the 
of the reverend, the local reverend. And it's not just, it's not like she's trying to be the rebellious reverend's daughter. Like she has her faith. She genuinely believes in it. And it, it is a character trait of hers that gets brought up more often than religion usually is with characters. Um, usually if a character is religious, they kind of bring it up offhandedly and then it's not important again. But for Jamie in this movie, it is like, I would say 40% of her personality. But the thing, the thing that I like the most about this depiction of the religious girl is that there are multiple times where her and Landon are talking and, you know, the topic of her faith comes up and he openly admits that he does not believe in the same things that she does, that he doesn't see it the way she does. And not once does she ever try to shove it down his throat or get him to see things from the perspective that she does. She will often just be like, this is how I see it. That's how you see it. That's what it is. Yeah, she's just very normal about it, um, which was nice because... Like I said, even though it took up a lot of her personality, it was just something that they talked about. It was never like a genuine plot point outside of like the conversations they had and the goals that Jamie would talk about. I'll say that I feel like Jamie is relatable for me, not necessarily for the religious aspect. Because, okay, so here's the big plot twist. Jamie has leukemia. She's not responding to treatment. She has months left to live at most. Um, And yet she is still so optimistic and creates a list of goals and dreams for herself. And, you know, one of those is to befriend somebody that she doesn't like. Landon and his friend group have been her biggest bullies throughout school. And so she befriends Landon when he needs her help with the school play that he's being forced to be a part of as part of his probation. And, you know, she's literally like, hey, don't fall in love with me because I'm sick. Even though she doesn't add that part, she's just like, hey, don't fall in love with me. And he's like, that'll be no problem at all. And then, of course, falls in love with her because she's gorgeous. And then, you know, turns his unlock because there's this one moment where he's after all this happens, he's a total douchebag to her in front of his friends, as a lot of people are in high school um but then he realizes just how much he hurt her feelings and like actually puts in the effort to change his behavior to be i guess the kind of man he thinks deserves to be with her in which that's part of this movie that's also kind of refreshing is because with people in general so many of them like will realize their faults but they won't do anything about it to so to see a character recognize his faults and then not just sit there wanting to do better, but actually put in the work to do better is another reason that Landon always wins my heart over. <laughs> I also want to, you know, give a call out to Landon's friend group. They're bad at bullying. Yeah. Like they're, they're pretty bad at it. Like, so like there's a moment, you know, one of the big moments of bullying that Landon's friend group does to Jamie is once Landon and Jamie start seeing each other, they Photoshop Jamie's face onto like a Victoria's secret model or like some lingerie catalog model and just like distribute that picture across school. And it is guys, I cannot stress this enough. The worst 
hack job I've ever seen in my life. Like the photo of Jamie is in black and white, but the catalog is in color. It's like very clearly like either cut with actual scissors or whatever program they use was like the worst lasso tool I've seen in my life. Like <laughs> it was the kind of bullying that if it had happened to me, I would have looked at it and I would have felt bad for the person that did it. Yeah, it definitely and- wasn't a good job. <laughs> And so, like, Jamie, I know you're sick, but if you're letting this get to you, like, that's internal. They are. They're doing their worst. Like, they are not. This is bottom of the barrel stuff, Jamie. We can do better. I think it goes along with the fact that Jamie is this very modest girl, right? Like, she. Yes. Like, really holds her modesty very close to her and so for them to like portray her as like some sort of you know non-modest person i guess you could say that i guess is just more jarring to her but i do agree that it was a very poor attempt at bullying and very early 2000s bullying compared yeah, to what and we the had same to thing go happened- and the same thing happened in the craft where like in order to showcase that all the girls were social outcasts, like the movie had to include a scene of them walking through the school, walking past groups of guys and them like making degrading cat calls towards them. And I'm like, no one talks like that. That's not a real thing. And um, so this, that kind of scene is typical in a movie like this. Yeah, and, you know, Landon stands up for Jamie in that scene and punches his friend Dean in the face, who they look like they could be brothers, both both of them. But Dean then acts like they're breaking up, like acts like this was just a tumultuous relationship that they're going through heartbreak. And he's this heartbroken person. And it's like, we're over. We're done. It's over. And I'm like, Dean, chill. Yeah, it's the friend group is not important to most of this movie. Like this movie effectively has three characters in it. Jamie Landon and Jamie's father. Everyone else is interchangeable. Does not matter. Yeah. Um, the thing also, another thing that like the pacing for this movie kind of caught me off guard. I kind of thought the play would be the way this movie ended like we would get to know them throughout the course of their rehearsals for this play. And then, you know, the big moment would be the play itself. The play is the cap to act one. The play is it's like that's And also during the play, we get a full musical number from Jamie. And when I mean a full musical number, I mean, it feels like at least it's three and a half minutes. And I got to a point where it's like, Hey Mandy, you're doing a great job singing. Obviously, you're Mandy Moore. Why are we still singing? <laughs> it was the. It shows us the moment where they're realizing their feelings for each other in its full capacity, and that's like the catalyst for the second half of them trying to foster this relationship. And I will say, Mandy has the voice of an angel. She looks stunning, but the song does go on a little bit too long they could have cut it in half like they really could have for a movie that is not about that song in any other way like there i don't know why they like they paid for the full song we're using the full song so um, um go ahead landon 
it's not it was it was always nice to see Landon be romantic. There are lots of small Landon does lots of gestures in this yes, movie. This yes. movie is just scene after scene of gestures. Landon, you know, goes stargazing with her, you know, registers a star online in her name. They do picnics. He does like you know, he just does a lot of things that's like, because he knows that she doesn't have a lot of time left, he does a lot of these grand things that that I think is why this movie has a good appeal, is because it's just showcase after showcase of like, physical events that prove love. Yes, that's definitely a really big aspect to it along with so as I mentioned before Jamie has this list of things that she wants to accomplish before she dies and she lets Landon in on a couple of them and you know be in two places at once get a tattoo get married at the church that her mother got married at with her to her dad and it he like does even before he knows that she's sick and like that's why she has her list he does like everything he can to help her accomplish those goals and there's one where it's the get a tattoo and it's so growing up the modest girl having a scene where a guy puts a temporary tattoo on the modest girl's shoulder and having it be like such an intimate moment just does something to me and then when he blows on it to dry it off i'm like gone i'm a goner i'm a goner here's my heart it It is yours (laughs) It's very cute. Very cute. And he's just super respectful of her boundaries. And it's really great to see that in a character. Because oftentimes in romance movies, you don't see that in characters much anymore. Like, there's always some sort of boundary crossing. But he's always just very respectful of her boundaries. Yeah, and this is kind of like... There's this, like, trend online where you see, like... Oh, this is very clearly a man written by a woman, you know, stuff that general terminology. And, you know, even though this novel was written by a man, like he very much appeals to that, like generally feminine um, romantic style. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why people are drawn to it and, Also, why people hate it. Because this movie, I think, goes out of its way and is very purposeful to, like, recognize a traditionally female point of view. Like, to say, hey, here's how people should treat each other. And to have that kind of, like, blown up on such a big scale, I think, is why movies like this are so divisive. Which is wild because it's crazy that like Nicholas Sparks can be like, hey, when a woman tells you what she wants to accomplish in life, they like it when you help them with that. (laughs) And people are like, this movie sucks. It sucks. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? (laughs) Guys, calm down. Yeah, it's there's. okay. so are we ready to get into what makes me cry? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay, so first starters. Before we get into that, there is a scene when Jamie's in the hospital and her mother has already passed away and she has this quote journal that she gives to Landon. And this is, I don't know if you know this, but this was the catalyst for me to start all of my quote journals that I had in middle school and high school that then all of our friend groups started having quote journals as well because they became very popular around that time amongst our age range, I'll say. Um... So that was one part. Now to get into what makes me cry. So 
Jamie is, you know, getting closer and closer to death. And so Landon builds her this telescope so she can see this comet, which is also on her list. And then as they're watching the comet, he asks her to marry her. And she obviously says yes. And then they get married in the church. And, you know, it opens up with, honestly, one of the most honest parts of the Bible that you'll ever find, which is the first Corinthians verse of about love. Um, and so... That makes me tear up because it's like, okay, she's in her last days and she's marrying the man that she loves who loves her and has proven his love for her. And so I'm already like getting teary there. But then one of the numbers on her list was to witness a miracle. And so at the end of the movie, it's been four years since Jamie passed away and Landon is visiting the reverend and he goes, I'm sorry she never got her miracle. And the reverend looks him in the eyes and goes, Landon she did it was you and i lose it and i could lose it right now again i am holding back tears (laughs) yeah there's that scene and then you know the movie ends with uh landon kind of giving this monologue of like you know i'm sad jamie has passed but life carries on you know jamie's love is like the wind i cannot see it but i can always feel it (laughs) and in the the last like five minutes of this movie has a bunch of those like very quotable romance moments. And I will say I so this was this was also my go to movie if I wanted to cry in middle school and I forgot about that aspect when I added it to this list. So it already makes me cry in general. But then, you know, adding my own life experiences since the last time I watched this movie and the things that I've been through. Those who know me personally know what I'm talking about in many of these aspects. And, you know, knowing what I've been through, the tragedies I've experienced, and having the strong partner there for me not to get cheesy and almost cry over this. Oh my god, hold on, give me a minute. Having that, I guess, gives me a stronger connection to this movie that I was not expecting to have through this watch through I thought that I was gonna go back to it and kind of just watch this movie from when I was younger that was a cute love story and I didn't expect to have an even stronger emotional connection to it is your nose bleeding no but it might (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think this movie does a very good job at just being like human I think and like if you're a full adult and you've never seen this movie before, like probably won't like it. Watching, probably won't like it. W- yeah, watching two high schoolers do like high school love, you know, unless you like are into that kind of cheesiness of it, like it's a hard sell. It is this movie is and the word I'm going to use is going to sound like a criticism, but it's not. This movie is very juvenile. Yeah, like in the sure. way that they approach a lot of their own conversations, right? You know, this movie is about two 17, 18 year olds and you can feel that. Um, but it, this movie's cute. I think this movie is very, it's a very good romance movie. Very rarely do I like movies that are just romance movies. Um, but this, this movie's good, you know? It's it's not as bad as people say Nicholas Sparks movies are. It is that level of cheesiness that you have to be ready for, but like, it's not bad. You're not going to want to tear your eyes out or anything. Before we get to ratings, you said that this was your first Nicholas Sparks movie that you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh huh. So you've never seen the notebook. 
Correct. Oh, we're going to be changing that this year. I'm going to find a way. I'll just see if Alex... Alex might want to do that, too, so I'll have to talk with him about it. Um, I'll fight you know, him for Rachel, it. Because Rachel McAdams. I'll fight um, him for it. I'll fight him for it. Or we can all do it together. He can be on the our podcast for that one. <laughs> okay. Um, so what are you rating this yeah, one? I'm giving this one like a six and a quarter. I wasn't super engaged in it. Uh, I re- like, There are lots of cute moments from this movie that I recognize. Um but a lot of it is just like this movie missed me when it would have been impactful. And now it's just like a cheesy movie that I'm glad I now understand references to. That is entirely valid. Um, I obviously gave my reasoning through my tears a minute ago, but uh, I'm going to give this one probably a solid seven, seven and a half. I think it would have been a seven, but now the rewatch and the more deeper emotional connection gives it that extra point five. Okay, so before we move on to the second part, I want to bring something up because I I always I th- I think this happened last year too, where like when I brought my movies, you were like down to clown. These movies rock. We're good, and then you bring your movies, and I feel bad because like the movies that you bring are not movies (laughs) I typically watch. So I always feel bad coming in like very lukewarm about it. Like, eh, sorry. (laughs) I, whenever, okay. You know what I mean? Whenever, whenever I put movies on a list where I'm like, all right, these are the movies that I'm interested in. I know that I have to put this little asterisk next to it. Where it's like, look, I can love this movie with all of my heart, but I know in my heart of hearts that my best friend probably won't like it even close to as much as I do. Like, to where I just want you to experience it so that way you have that, like, notion of where this part of my personality comes from or how you can see through my life how I connect with the movie if that makes sense and i think i just try to give you more layers of understanding of me and i don't really care sure. if you like it or not i just want you to have that experience with me and so i can talk about it with you i think next time that we do movies that like are movies that speak close to us like we got to start watching them together yes so that way like yes it could be a more enhanced viewing experience i absolutely agree <laughs> okay so we're we're gonna move on to the movie that I'm gonna say was the surprise hit for me. Um, Ooh, a surprise! <laughs> yes. So don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. All right. Christina Applegate is pretty much the only famous person in this movie, um, and I don't know. It like it's campy enough to where like and silly enough to where like I was kind of on board with it for the majority of the movie. It's I. Okay, so this movie is one that I was introduced to young by my stepdad. And as I mentioned last time we discussed this movie between us, only one other person that I've met in my life that's not family has known what this movie is. Nobody else (laughs) that's our age, at least, has seen this movie that I've met personally. So it makes me so happy that you liked it. And also... Yeah. Um... You have Christina Applegate, but you also have David Duchovny, who is Mulder. Oh, David Duchovny. 
Yeah, Duchovny. Name. Sorry, you got it. You got it. You we'll just you have David Duchovny from X Files in this as well, playing a pompous asshole, which is an interesting take. Yeah. So the the gist of this movie is like the simple way to put it is it's like it, it's like Junior Devil Wears Prada. And that sounds weird based on the title, but, like, it makes sense when we get there. So, um, Christina Applegate is the oldest of five kids, and their mom is going to Australia for two months, I think, to, like, live with her boyfriend for a little bit, or visit her boyfriend, or what have you. And so, the mom just leaves all the kids back in America and uh you know they she leaves a babysitter in charge of them and the babysitter is this like very strict like stereotypical almost like um militant drill sergeant esque woman who's also 400,000 years old <laughs> like her hair was just wisps of an imagination and she's the babysitter is in this movie for all of what would you say 90 seconds and then, ten minutes. hey, guess what? Ten minutes. The babysitter dies. And so <laughs> now the movie kind of turns into this movie has this like metamorphosis because it starts as like, oh, we're kids. It's summer. We don't have any adults. We're going to like party. It is. It's a dream come true. It's like kind of home alone in that sense. But then when they run out of money, they're like, uh, we need to like live so Christina Applegate takes a job and she, you know, through some hoops, accidentally becomes this executive administrative assistant to this industrial fashion designer. And that's kind of what the movie turns into is it's more about this 17 year old living in a corporate world, which was very different from how the movie started. And I was kind of into it. Yeah, it definitely takes a big turn from the beginning because you just think oh man this movie's gonna be about them you know defying the babysitter possibly killing the babysitter since it's don't tell mom the babysitter's dead but she just dies in her sleep and then they drop her off in a box at the funeral home with all of the money that their mom left behind for the two months that she's going to be gone leading them to have to you know like you said do what they have to do but then you have the oldest brother, Kenny, who's this total stoner, stereotypical stoner at that. And he has to stay home and take care of the three younger kids. And that goes about as well as you think it does until he allows one of them to climb up on the roof, fall off of the roof. And then he kind of snaps back into reality and is like, okay, maybe I need to step it up a little bit around here. Yes, um, it was... I will say his portions of the movie were the parts I cared the least about. I did not care about the home life parts. I cared the most when Christina Applegate's character swell was at the office. Uh, there was just when we, whenever we would go back home and like the joke is that swell and her brother, Brian would argue or Kenny rather swell and Kenny would argue like a married couple about like, oh, I'm at work all day. Oh, I'm taking care of the kids all day. And it's just this like 
bitterness that like the other person doesn't appreciate how much work they're putting into it like a married couple except it's a 17 and 15 year old sibling dynamic and once we got that joke once I was cool with it. We could go back and we could just hang out in the office for the rest of the movie. And I'm cool with that. Yeah, I think it was also funny that Kenny was the stay at home father while Suellen was the breadwinning wife. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Which was very much like that is very much a 1991 joke. Um, And if you like look at this as a 1991 movie, like a lot of the jokes still kind of hold up, I think. Um, and then some of them are a little bit more like this kind of like this, like flip of gender norms that if it were made today, wouldn't be a joke because that's just kind of normal. Exactly. Um, and at this office, her boss Rose is in this relationship, non relationship with this man named Gus, who is a total creep that hits on little miss swell even though she's only 17 because they're all under the guise that she's 29 or 28 and the person she beat out for the job is the receptionist and her little brother is swell's love interest so there's a little triangle there yes so before swell gets this job at this fashion uh corporation she starts like at a fast food place just like a normal like kind of burger place and she falls for this guy that works there and then once she starts doing the office stuff she like isn't comfortable living that double life and also lying to him along the way so he so she kind of drops him and the whole movie is him like constantly trying to come back and be like swell what's the deal and she's like stop asking and i'm like you heard her bud stop asking so like he does that a few times that's kind of the big thing about this movie that was kind of the hang-up for me is it needed to cycle through certain things and swell's love interest was one of those things and every time he showed up i was ready for us to move on to the next thing well i don't necessarily think that it was him coming because like they did she didn't sign him off because even at the end she's like no we weren't broken up we were just having an argument and I was letting you cool down from it because she knows that it's his sister working there and if that secret comes out his sister is already trying to go for her job and mad that she got the job and that would ruin everything she's had going for her so she has to try and keep that divide but he wants to know where she works and that would reveal the entire secret so she's like don't ask where i work and he's like but i want to send you flowers which is cute which is cute i'll give him points for that but i will say when you see a party happening at a house the worst thing to do in your delivery van is to get on the speaker of it and confess your love for the girl who's hosting oh, this party. Oh yeah. It's rough. Oh yeah, that's rough. Like he I I think he read the room and chose to defy it, which was not fun to participate in. Hey but he got what was coming for him because she was like, you know what? You want to be here and embarrass me. I'm going to make you a part of this fashion show that I had to throw together and host at my house to keep this facade going. Yeah. I will say like that was a really cool part of the movie is like, I loved watching these kids kind of like 
foster their independence and like watch these things come together because like these five kids put on a fashion show and that was pretty all and you know swell also while putting on the fashion show designed the outfits so like she was pulling like triple duty in terms of this prep work and like so like it was really cool watching her like she was very l woods in this movie if you like yes l woods type characters this is the movie for you. Like it genuine, like it is a very similar character arc and I think it is done just as well. Yeah. These, these kids are incredibly defiant and just horribly behaved for 95% of the movie. And then right at the end, they do this complete 180 right when it matters the most and they pull themselves together and they get done. And it's honestly, it's so great. Like, it's my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> that was one of the notes that I had when watching this is like, these kids were insufferable. Oh my God. It was like, it was one of those things where it was kind of tough to watch how just like defiant for defiance sake these kids were and like some of these kids weren't even in like their rebellious stage or anything. It's like, oh, here's a nine year old who just enjoys disobeying their mom and i'm like guy like at that point you gotta chalk it up to the the parenting and like listen single mom five kids impossible right i i like if we want to like take this into real life for a second that's a coin flip either way as far as movies are concerned however like i just gotta look at this mom and be like something went wrong and i don't know where it was but, like, you going to Australia for two months shouldn't be able to fix this. Somehow it did. Maybe these kids were just better off without a mom. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, maybe you shouldn't leave your kids for two months when you know this is how they behave. Like. Yeah. Like. What part of you thought that was going to go well? <laughs> yeah. I had the most animosity towards the younger brother like the kid brother because when swell gets her first paycheck he just spends all of it and then some and i'm like dude you gotta understand what like 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 at that point it is it's like a purposeful choice to ignore what your older sister is doing for you like she's laid this out for you you know what the stakes are like you gotta like rein it in a little bit dude yeah and like she's not even using her check she's using petty cash she gets from the office but then is able to write off at the end as supplies needed for this fashion show that she has to put together in days but these kids take all the petty cash. The, the kids take all this petty cash that you can use to pay for things in office and then just replace. Or you can cash personal checks and then replace later when you have the cash on hand or whatever. And so they just take it and spend it on an entertainment system and blow it on a diamond ring and all this other stuff. And I'm like, y'all, what I would... Sue Ellen, she handled herself well in that situation because I would have gone ballistic. Oh, absolutely. Because the whole petty cash thing, it's a very important part of this movie. It's something they bring up a few times. And so, like, that's something that Swell, like, leans on when, you know, her 
check gets, you know, overused. And she's like, the whole concept is like, when you get paid again, you're supposed to put back what you have spent. And, you know, she didn't have to do that. Cause like you said, she wrote, she was able to write all of it off and like kind of get away with it. But that was a very stressful part for me was just watching her kind of like pick away at the petty cash and be like, I would die of anxiety if that was kind of like the system that I relied on. I also like that after everything is revealed, like after everything is revealed at the end that, you know, she comes out because her mom shows up at this fashion show in their backyard back from Australia a day early. And so Suellen's like, look, I'm only 17. Yep, it's all a ruse. Here I am. And her boss is just like, well, they bought it anyway, so you want to keep working for me? Because... Yeah, um, it's just a very simple... It, I don't think this movie's very funny. This movie is sold, you know, as like a teen comedy. And more than anything, I think this movie just has good vibes. It's charismatic. It's engaging. I wouldn't call it funny. It's entertaining, but like... I don't remember any times that I like specifically laughed out loud. Um, some of the parts were like where they were like disposing of the dead babysitter and um, all that kind of sequencing. That was fun to watch and that would probably be the funniest part of it. But like as a whole, like this movie's not very funny. It's just lighthearted and fun. Yeah, exactly. It's just good entertainment. Yeah, um, I will say, I forgot the babysitter died. What? Like, when we get to the end of the movie, you know, everything's getting all wrapped up. And the mom is like, hey, where's the babysitter? And that's kind of the joke that the movie ends on. And I also was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was, like, the premise of the movie. We kind of moved past that pretty fast. And that, folks, shows us just how quickly Gregory forgets things. Okay, but, like, they don't bring up the babysitter once after, like, after she gets dropped off at the funeral home, the babysitter is not brought up again. It is, it is all about work from that moment on. Well, no, because the mom calls multiple times and they have to be like, oh, no, the babysitter's not here. She's on a date oh, yeah. or she's at the yarn store. Um relevant for the movie we're about to talk about i'm scrolling through the trivia on imdb the original script was written with winona Ryder in mind but she had to turn it down because of edward scissorhands i did and um that that's fun i do like christina applegate in this i'm not really a christina applegate guy like she doesn't like swing me one way or the other when it comes to the kinds of projects that she's in but like this I really liked her in this. Like genuinely, I think that this is like maybe my favorite thing that I've seen her in. Yeah, I think this was I'm pretty sure this was the first Christina Applegate movie that I ever saw. So Ooh, hold on. I'm just scrolling through. Anchorman listen, for what it's worth, Anchorman is up there. It holds a nostalgic place in my heart. I'm gonna say they're tied. I'm gonna say they're tied. Valid. That is valid. <coughs> So, uh, what are you rating this family-friendly, good-time entertainment? That was, hey, Bug, that was the dorkiest thing you've ever said. Not even close. <laughs> Not even I close. Never... <laughs> this family-friendly, wholesome entertainment. 
Hey, um, I said it very deadpan. <laughs> uh, probably like a 6.75. Not going to change your life, but it was a good time. Yeah, I'm at about a six and a half for the same reason. It's a good time. Very nostalgic yeah, for me. Very nostalgic. Like this movie, like it's just a different style of comedy. Like I, I feel like movies like this, like th- they're not in style anymore. So um, it, it's a fun little time capsule. I, I liked watching this a lot. Now, 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 now girl interrupted. How do we, how do we transition into girl interrupted? Um, Hmm. I don't know. Do, do you want to take it? You, you, you start, you start. You had that bit planned, didn't you? You had that bit to try and get me to start this, didn't you? Nope. I genuinely just didn't know how to start this. This is all you, dude. Why? You know I don't like this part. Um. So now into Girl Interrupted, which is on a very different tone level than the majority of the other movies. Well, all of the other movies here. It, you know, much darker tones aligned with the craft, but in a different type of way it's very mental health focused i guess you could say for because you know 90 percent of it happens in an asylum so yeah the reductive way to look at this is like this is the girl version of cuckoo's nest um there's a few more layers to it but like that's kind of the same vibe like people in a menstrual institution learn like one of them is is there for like a little bit of a different reason than everyone else they band together they kind of learn how to work within and outside of the mental mental institution so like a, a reductionist way is to say it's girl cuckoo's nest but i think this movie does take more of an approach on specifically you know mental health and mental disorders than cuckoo's nest did yeah, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is kind of, you know, just about them trying to get out of there and the mistreatment of patients in asylums. Meanwhile, this one is still placed in an asylum and there's still escape attempts and successes, but it's more focused on the journey of getting better. And there's even a line in it about how Valerie, one of the nurses, she has worked at state institutions and she's like, look, I've worked at state institutions and where you are now is a five star hotel. And for the 60s, which is where this movie is placed, that is true. This facility that they're all in is 10 times better than all the state facilities that were out there that were just, you know, pumping them full of valley up and calling it a day. Yeah, this this movie taking place in the 60s is a very important aspect to this movie because it's you know if, if you know anything about like psychological history the the 60s was a very important era of psychology as a science um because that's kind of when ev- that's kind of when we realized we were messing up patients more than we were helping them and everything started to pivot a little bit more into like actual treatment um some places did better than others, but like it was, it's definitely an important part of this movie because like a lot of these, a lot of their treatment practices are far, 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 far from perfect. Yeah, for sure. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the the plot summary here, Gregory? Yeah. So, um, so Winona Ryder plays this 
teenager, you know, this uh, almost high. Is she a high school graduate when the events of the movie starts? Yes. Yes. Okay. So she's just graduated high school and she effectively tries to kill herself with a bottle of aspirin and a bottle of vodka. And after she makes like the physical recovery from that, she starts uh, seeing therapists on her parents' recommendation and on the therapist's recommendation, she gets sent to this mental institution for lack of a better phrase. And while she's in there, she befriends a bunch of the other patients in there, namely Angelina Jolie's character, Lisa and Lisa. I'm get, listen, I'm just going to say it. Lisa's crazy. And I know you're thinking, Craig, they're an immense institution. Isn't that kind of the bar that we're accepting? No, 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 no. Lisa's on a different level. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's like a fun crazy, you know, she, it's that kind of crazy that you would want to like go party with, right? She's very dedicated to her friends. She wants to help them out. She's willing to sacrifice herself to help her friends. And then there's another side that's like, uh, scary is the easiest way to put it. Um, when Lisa breaks, she breaks hard. And so the movie is more or less Susanna and Lisa trying to speed run the mental institution recovery process. They're trying to get out of there as fast as they can. And along the way that, you know, other people get brought into that friend group. They learn about each other's histories. Um, Susanna and Lisa eventually break out of the institution and that's kind of when everything hits the fan. Yeah. Um. So why am I not picking up? There we go. Um. So yeah, Lisa is a diagnosed sociopath, or otherwise known known as antisocial personality disorder. Uh, Susanna, they believe she has borderline personality disorder. And then you have Georgina, who is Susanna's roommate and is a pathological liar. You have Polly, who has burns on 90% of her body because she got a rash from a dog when she was younger and decided to burn all the areas where she was having a rash so that way she could keep the dog after her parents threatened to take it away. And then, you know, you have your other characters, but there's a lot of, there's so many big names in this movie. Like, so many people are in this movie. You have... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, so we have Winona Ryder, Angelina Do- Angelina Jolie, Clea Duvall, Elizabeth Moss, Jared Leto, Jeffrey Tambor, Whoopi Goldberg, um, and... What was the other big one I wanted to say? Well, you have Brittany Murphy, Elizabeth Moss, Misha Collins, like all these Kurtwood Smith. Like there's a lot of people. Um, I will say I forgot Jared Leto was in this movie until he showed up and <laughs> I was Ooh, a little jump scare. Uh, yeah. Jump scare. Um, somebody said that he looks like, a worse Zac Efron in this movie. And I realized that's exactly, that is exactly what I thought before my, before my brain went, Oh, that's Jared Leto. It was like, why is Zac Efron in this movie? Um, and Jared Leto, his character could not be less important to the movie. If they tried, like it's, I feel like they just needed another dude in the movie. So 
Well, no, no. He, his character, Jared Leto's character, is there because there's this whole debate about one of the promiscuity. Yeah. So there's part of the borderline diagnosis, which may apply to some people, but does not apply to everybody, is that there is an aspect of hypersexuality or what they identified in the 60s as just promiscuity. And so before her suicide attempt, Susanna had been hooking up with a professor who was also one of her friend's fathers, and he had a wife, one of her parents' friend's husbands. And so then shortly after that, she was hooking up with this character, Toby, who's Jared Leto's character. Um, And so then she's like in this hospital and she's like, me, promiscuous? No. What? What? No. But then Jared Leto's character comes to visit. She immediately tries to get it on with him five minutes after getting him into her room. Not even five minutes. And then after that scene, then kisses an orderly. And it's like, Susanna, denial is a river in Egypt. Yeah. So that that's why I didn't love Jared Leto's character that much. It was he was just kind of like, you know, first of all, I just don't like Jared Leto for a multitude of reasons. So that that was already kind of just like rough. And also just like, you know, like you said, like the purpose of his character is like just n- not my favorite. I I did not like that aspect of them exploring the borderline. Um, but what can you do? Um, in my opinion, this movie's 20 minutes too long. Um, I don't know where it would have gotten cut, but when they escape the institution, when they escape the facility, there's still like 45 minutes left in the movie. And like, I feel like very little happens in that 45 minutes. So they escape the institution and they go to a friend's apartment, a former patient of the facility has their own apartment. So when they run away, they stay at her place. And then this is kind of what I mean when I say that Lisa's just scary is that while staying in this woman's apartment, Lisa effectively bullies a woman to suicide. And then when Lisa sees that this woman has committed suicide, just kind of like brushes it off. Like, yeah, what did you expect to happen? And like that, that that's kind of an aspect that I feel it, it was a very interesting moment in the movie because I think throughout the entirety of it, you get the aspect of like, Lisa's probably going to turn on Suzanne. Lisa is the linchpin of everything going wrong for Suzanne. And like that, however, Lisa bullying a woman to suicide is kind of that moment where like, if you were in denial before, here's the glowing light here. Here's the neon sign. Lisa is Lisa's not a good person. Well, no. Um, So for most of the rest of the movie, you just see the sides of Lisa where she's just impulsive and rash and doesn't care about the consequences of her actions. But Daisy, who is the friend, which is Brittany Murphy's character, she's always had animosity with Lisa And then them going to the house, you see the true apathetic lack of empathy aspect of people with antisocial personality disorder. So I think that that's like, that's my psychologist lens of it, I guess. Sure, absolutely. Um, And kind of going back to the point that I was saying before of like, this movie just kind of taking too long after they do 
that whole sequence. Um, Suzanne goes back to the institution because she's like, I shouldn't be out. I'm not ready to be out. I don't want to, like, live my life on the lam with Lisa. And when she goes back, there's, like, another good 15 minutes of her just existing in the facility before they move on with, like, the final sequence, which is her getting dismissal approval. And um, Lisa does not take that very well. And so Lisa, like, steals Suzanne's journal, which she has been using to, like, cope with her emotions. And she's, like, brutally honest in this journal. Like, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's, like, a burn book. But, like, she, like, gives some pretty hard interpretations of the people around her. And so Lisa's, like, reading all these out loud, stirring up all the other girls, like, oh, you think you're better than us just because you know what's wrong with us? You think you're better than us because they said you could leave? And Suzanne's like, yeah, kinda. That was the, that was kind of the point. And so Suzanne starts reading Lisa back some hard truths where Suzanne's like, you don't want to leave. You think you do, but you don't. You have power in here. You have no power anywhere else. And it just becomes this huge, like, emotional conflict of just people just not holding back. And, like, that was a cool scene to watch. I think the lead-up to it was a little slow. But, like, when they finally get at each other and they stop holding back, like, that was a really cool way to kind of, like, culminate the movie. Yeah, and, like... I think in regards to the whole pacing of that act of the movie, I feel like they definitely didn't need to spend necessarily as long as they did in the moments between Susanna going back to um, the institution and Lisa still being on the run because she doesn't really get caught yet. But I think it's imperative as part of the storyline Because in that moment, Susanna realizes that Lisa was hindering her getting better. And that even though Lisa, she saw Lisa as his friend, she realized that, you know, Lisa encouraging her not to take her meds wasn't helping her in the long run. And that she wasn't truly being honest with herself and that she just needed to start being honest. Because Susanna says in the narration that eventually she just started speak in her mind to her therapist like every single day she just told the truth said what was ever whatever was on her mind and that's how she like i guess uh moved forward towards her recovery and there is a scene right before lisa returns where the psychologist is like yes you've been doing better but it's only been a couple weeks and we're looking for stability and so then they throw this curveball towards Susanna's recovery of Lisa coming back and possibly trying to derail her recovery. And it shows that in the time apart from Lisa, Susanna has really, I guess, gotten a hold of herself and reclaimed her own control to where Lisa doing all of that doesn't impact her healing and in fact shows that Susanna is in fact better and has more faith in herself than she did when she first got there. Yeah, absolutely. I I think this movie is really good with character growth. I think that that is this movie's strength is watching Suzanne and Lisa kind of like we see these two at the start of the movie as we see them. We kind of see them start at the same point and 
we kind of watch them change. You know, they both drift in the same direction. Then they're drifting more extremely in the same direction. And then we watch Suzanne, like, drift away from Lisa's direction. And then just hard correct in the opposite direction. Like, watching those character arcs and the shape that they take is this movie's biggest strength. I do love one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they all band together to go break into one of the therapist's office to read all their files <laughs> because I think that that's the first moment that you see them all kind of working together instead of against each other or just kind of teasing each other like they do a lot through this movie and everybody always wants to read their therapy notes even though you're not supposed to because it can hinder your it can hinder your recovery Oh, I don't. I Hey, guess what? I don't. I do. I do not want to. Nope, I no do. thanks. I have so much faith that what is on that notepad is just, is for, you know, I, I just have, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with whatever they have to say. I'm good. Knowing the stuff that gets written down on those things, I want to know because I feel like it would help me know more about myself without actually having to do the work to know more about myself. <laughs> um... This movie was only nominated for one Oscar, um, and it won it. It was uh, Angelina Jolie for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Rightfully um, so, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, let me just double check that I'm... Yeah, only yeah, only nomination, and she won it. Like, good for her. Um, Winona Ryder is good in this movie. She definitely is. Um, I don't think this is, like... This was not a surprising performance from Winona Ryder. Like, I feel like this is kind of about what I expected from from a Winona Ryder performance. Um, Angelina Jolie, I think, just knocked it out of the park. Like, I genuinely did not expect that level of acting from her. So it was really cool to see that happen. Um, I thought that she was the most entertaining part of this movie. And I really enjoyed watching her performance one of my favorite bits of trivia about this movie is the fact that she did not like angelina jolie did not talk to winona Ryder out of character or more than she had to when they were not on camera to kind of keep up that energy of lisa so that way you know there were no friendly personal feelings interfering with the performance which i think was a smart move probably hard to deal with on set but in the long run it paid off well i enjoyed watching this movie i definitely understand how like this could send someone into a spiral this is a very delicate topic that is handled sometimes with gloves sometimes with a hammer and this movie kind of takes you on that full spectrum. So, watch with caution. Please, I'm begging you to watch with caution. Yeah, this, is, this isn't really the kind of movie that, that spirals me, but, like, I, I definitely see it. Th this movie has a lot of intensity in it, and the, the theme of tackling mental health and mental disorders f at an institutional level is dreary. It is a dreary concept. And I think that this movie, like it, it shows that dreary theme very intensely. So 
that's something to keep in mind. It's like this movie. I wouldn't say this movie's bleak, but like it's close. Well, I think it gives a very well. I won't even say that. It gives as almost as close as a film or a movie can get to a realistic depiction of these mental disorders and what it might have been like in a facility in the 1960s. As someone who was not even alive then, I can't exactly tell you how accurate it is in that aspect, but just with- Well, as someone who was alive in the 1960s, let me tell you, um, I think it's pretty accurate. Okay, cool. Um, anyway. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, Damn. I was mid-thought. Um, anyway, I feel like it has a decent depiction of what it was like to be in an institution at the time and also how mental health was handled and discussed then and how different it is from back then to today. And, you know, there are a lot of moments where things are lighter and, like, you see that these girls, even though they're in this institution, they are still human. And there's, like, one scene where they go to get ice cream for Daisy's last day in the institution and then the wife of the man who Susanna was the mistress for approaches them and they all bark at her to get her off of Susanna's back which I was like go team go that's another one of my favorite parts um but yeah there's also um one line from this movie that was a TikTok audio for a very long time and it is the worst line to take out of context of this movie and turn it into a thirst trap joke TikTok trend. Please remind me. So when Lisa is bullying Daisy, so Daisy was in the institution because she is a laxatives diet pill addict. And she also has a lot of trauma from home that she does not discuss. But Lisa has kind of figured out that she's a little too close to her father if you pick up what I'm putting down. And so Lisa says this line, everybody knows, everybody knows that he f***s you. Talking about her father to her, to Daisy, the daughter. And that line was taken from this movie and made into this, like, jokey kind of thirst trap line on TikTok. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the worst. G- g- gross. Gross. Hey, remember, kids, um, do full research on all of your TikTok audios before you post with them, because you never know. You never know. You never know. Please do your due diligence. Um, Yeah. I first watched this movie at a young age, at a very, very dark time in my life where, you Surprising know, absolutely no one. Nobody. But, um, but it was, I guess, she was one of the first times in a sense of, I guess, a darker movie or a movie on mental health that I felt like parts of me were represented on the screen if that makes sense and I don't know it still still kind of hits home in some aspects I am a lot better than I was back then in a lot of aspects so you know progress pulling my own Susanna Kaysen and getting better um but yeah so going back to watch this movie is always quite the trip often ends in a spiral but we're doing pretty good this time around so you know 
progress. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to transition out of that one. Um, <clears throat> I think this is definitely just like a movie that will resonate with people. I think this is definitely one of those things where like the resonation of it will impact your enjoyment of it. I think because um, this movie tells an incredibly personal story um, and I think a lot of it hinges on your ability to relate with that. And one can make an argument where like a good movie should make you uh, relate with it no matter if you actually do or not. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think that if you watch this movie and you kind of bounce off of it, like that makes sense. I can understand that. Um, It really kind of just comes down to like, how much you care about the subject matter at hand and the way it's being told. Those are kind of the two big things. It's like if you have your own experiences with, you know, intense mental health issues and like the concept of institutionalization is like prevalent in your mindset. Like those are the two kind of big things that hang this movie pretty tight. Yeah, I think that um, I think that part of the reason which we probably should have mentioned this earlier. I should have at least, but I think part of the reason that it does resonate so well with people is the fact that this movie is based off of a book and that book is a memoir. Susanna Kaysen is a real person and this is parts of a real life that she lived. Yeah, and it's always weird talking about movie stuff when it's based on true stuff like this because it's like, I feel like I'm criticizing somebody's life. Um, And... If knowing that it is a true story, I prefer not to know if stuff is a true story until like after the fact, just because I think that it changes my window into it. It changes my perspective of the movie too intensely before I get the chance to like actually enjoy it. Um, So, you know, if it being a memoir changes how you look at it, you know, I I don't blame you. Um, but it does add a little bit of like a grounding element to it all. What, what are you rating this one, Gregory? I'm giving this a seven and a quarter. Okay. That's valid. I think this one, because of my fully, fully, fully biased rating here, because of my connection to it, I think if you know me, you'll know why this rating makes sense. And if you know me, it won't make, it won't surprise you at all. But I think this one is... A solid nine for me. Yeah, for sure. Also, I think all ratings are biased. That's okay. Oh. That's okay. It's kind of the point of rating stuff. You can be more objective with it. You you know, like, whatever. Anyway. Sure. I'm really excited for um our next month. Yeah, so I'm also excited for this because we are knocking out a franchise that has kind of been in my to-do list. For like a decade, um, we are going to be watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I plan on watching the extended edition. I bought the extended editions. So um, I just want to set that expectation for me personally. That That's where I'm going in with it. Um, I'm very excited. I've never, f- I've never seen any of the movies. I've never finished any of the books. I read The Hobbit when I was in middle school, but that's it. So I'm glad to finally have probably the biggest hanging empty checkbox 
above my like nerd checklist. Man, that 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 metaphor kind of got away from me there. Um, regardless, we're gonna be watching Lord of the Rings next month, and I'm excited. I am very excited for this because one, I cannot believe that you haven't seen these movies but also it's one of my all-time favorite franchises so i get to geek out for an entire month and i am so excited for it hey did you know that someone broke their toe when kicking a helmet or something yeah shocker (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) and that's the kind of energy you can expect (laughs) next month thank you for joining us for my recommendations month um We will catch you next month for Lord of the Rings. I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. We'll catch you next month. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices.